You will have heard of the saying, money makes the world go round. At CEO, we know that money is not the only thing that makes our world go around because we operate in the spirit of radical generosity. We keep doors wide, wide open, and we look back to make sure no one is left behind. And we co-create spaces and opportunities to accumulate cultural wealth, the critical factor for long-term transformative systems change. Welcome to SheEO.World podcast, where you'll meet women and non-binary folks who are transforming the world to be more equitable and sustainable. I would now like to hand over the session to the remarkable woman who has planned much of this content and is a, is a really prolific contributor to the SHEO network, Maria Calvo Sales. She's a SHEO activator and has been for a while, but she's also the founder of Palmar Corporate, and she'll be hosting our panel today. Thank you, Maria. Thank you so much, most marvellous Monica. Good morning, everyone. Fabulous folks. I am Maria and uh, my pronouns are she and her. And I'm joining you this morning from the beautiful lands of the Dark and John country, which is central coast of New South Wales. I'm going to start off with this really powerful quote by CEO founder, the amazing Vicky Saunders. And she said, in order to get to the new solutions for the world's most pressing social issues, we need to shed a winner-takes-all culture that has resulted in five men having the same wealth as half of the planet. 51% of the population are women, yet we receive 2.2% of the capital. This is statistically impossible with that massive bias designed into our systems and structures. So language is really, really important. English is my fourth language. So I'm always really curious around how words are defined. So according to the Webster and um, Oxford Dictionary, system has, is defined in three core um, streams. The first one, is a set of things working together as parts of a mechanism or an interconnecting network or a complex whole. The second stream of um, definition is an organized scheme or method, a set of principles and procedures according to which something is done, an organized planning or behavior resulting in a set of rules used in measurement or classification. And the third one, this is the third one, the prevailing political or social order. And as we know, the prevailing systems that we work with, live by and learn from have been established by white colonial rule founded on extermination, exploitation and profits at all cost. An economic framework endorsed in 1776, 1776 by Adam Smith's work, The Wealth of Nations, which has been the dominant economic theology of free market capitalism and the blueprint of colonialism, the legacy of which generations have paid a terrible price. So these system sessions has drawn from the phenomenal works of Dr. Rianne Eisler of Partnerism, Indigenomics by Carol Ann Hilton, Yoso's Cultural Wealth Framework, and of course, the United Nations Generation Equality Action Coalitions 2, 5, and 6. As everything we do at CEO is measured against the 17 UN Sustainable Development Goals. They are the world's to-do list. So in terms of um, the panel, we will explore the concept of cultural wealth. For most people, wealth is defined as accumulation of economic and monetary resources. You all have heard of the saying, money makes the world go round. At CEO, we know that money is not the only thing that makes our world go round because we operate in the spirit of radical, radical generosity. We keep doors wide, wide open 
and we look back to make sure no one is left behind. And we co-create spaces and opportunities to accumulate cultural wealth, the critical factor for long-term transformative systems change. Cultural wealth is embedded in the time-honored practices of Indigenous nations and Indigenous um, wisdom. So as you can see from the screen, and I think um, the team are, joined, are putting that up now, there are actually seven key elements into building cultural wealth. And for most of you, this will be the first time you've actually come across this concept. And you will see that there are actually seven key elements. And we're going to start um, in the aspirational aspect. If you've never come across aspirational capital before, in its concept, it's, um, the idea is I want to do important, impactful work, the fruit of which is something I may not see in my, um, in my generation. The second one there is familial capital. And it's about, I come from a long line of strong phenomenal women who always have my back and you'll also notice that social capital is a concept in cultural wealth and under that it says that I am a part of a network of supportive people with the same shared values as I do and there's also the next part which is navigational capital um, and the concept of this is I know how to work within the systems to get the information and get the results that I need and then underneath that you will see resistant capital I'm willing to think creatively about the solutions and I will push back when the status quo is unacceptable. And then you have um, the concept of linguistic capital, which is I have a voice that is heard in my community and I'm given the opportunity to speak my truth. So really powerful elements in that cultural wealth. And, you know, the spoke of that, the core of all of that is community cultural wealth. And in that concept, we talk about I take only what I need and I am accountable. I have a sacred responsibility to consider the long-term impact of my decision-making and I operate in the spirit of reciprocity and our methods are restorative and regenerative. And we also focus on economic progress as a parallel process to responsible custodianship of the land. Take a deep breath. That is a massive concept to take into consideration and we're going to use the panel this morning to talk it through. So welcoming um, our four panelists onto the stage, we have um, the amazing Sarah Highland. Hi, welcome, welcome. I'd Hi, love everyone. you to please um, uh, introduce yourself to the forum and tell us who you are and what you do and what ignites you. Absolutely. Uh, Dangana, that's the greeting in the NA1 Aboriginal language, um, which is in the process of being revived of the Anawan people um, from which um, I descend from. Um, I am the founder of Together Business uh, and Together Business is a chartered accounting firm, um, but I like to call it an accountability firm. Um, that's, that uh, really sums up uh, what we do. Um, so we specialise in working with for-purpose businesses and 80% of the businesses that we work with are um, First Nations businesses here in Australia. What we are positioning ourselves to do is lead the accounting profession in Australia in its own evolution in how we account for value because we know that, um, you know, traditional ways of financial reporting doesn't meet the needs of businesses who are wanting to um, maintain resilient and, and responsible operations. And so I'm so excited for this panel because cultural wealth is such a huge part of that. And, um, you know, we're here to bring it on to, onto the radar. 
Fabulous. Oh, I could listen to you forever, Sarah. So when we talk about, um, we've given you two of the key elements and already you've, um, you've explored for us what aspirational um, capital is that you're building these systems to actually support um, businesses that don't necessarily fit the systems and the check marks that's required in the modern world. So in terms of social capital, I'm a part of a network of supportive people with shared values. Can you tell us, Sarah, how that's, um, how that's come into your life and, and your experiences of social capital? Yeah, I, I think the concept of social capital is, is really front and centre to my whole journey um, going into business for myself. So it was a point in my life where I decided to surround myself by people who um, raised my vibration. And so I, um, you know, what at the time was just feeling like craving um, connection and friendship, um, you know, what I realised is that was actually, you know, exactly what we're talking about now. It's a part of a larger framework and we're navigating between all these different parts of the cultural wealth framework at the same time. But at the end of the day, I'm a part of a professional network of amazing um, individuals working in the for-purpose sector uh, and you know it's incredible that transcends uh, that transcends industries and sectors um, and the power for collaboration and partnerships is phenomenal and um, not a lot of people can grasp that power. Thank you so much Sarah for your thoughts and your wisdom we really really appreciate it. Um, thanks Sarah. So welcoming on to the stage now if we can get Fiona Harrison from Chocolate on Purpose. Fiona, thank you so much for joining us. Um, could you please tell the CEO world right now who you are, what you do, and what um, ignites your purpose? You're Dumarang. That's G'day in the Aboriginal Wiradjuri language. Um, as Maria introduced me, I'm Fiona Harrison, a proud Wiradjuri woman living and working on my traditional Wiradjuri lands. And I'm the founder and CEO of Chocolate on Purpose. So thank you, Maria and Shio team for inviting me today. Um, I combine fine curvature chocolate with Australian native botanicals to create my bush food chocolate range. And through sharing the traditional use of those botanicals, I work to deepen respect for our in, um, ancient Indigenous wisdom and culture. Thank you so much, Fiona. And we've given you the question around community capital the whole reciprocity, um, that you take responsibility for the decision-making that you that you do as a business owner and within your community. I would love for you to unpack that for us and how that's actually coming to your life and how you're living that community wealth aspect. Thank you, Maria. When I um, decided that I was going to create my business, I felt that it was important to find, sorry, important to set an example by finding balance in reciprocity in community capital within my business. So what I did was I looked at the, the areas that my business had a, a footprint in and um, resolved to look at what positive impact that I could have through my business model and my operating decisions. And so I found three core areas. And I, um, the first one was that Indigenous farmers are underrepresented in the Australian native botanical um, supply and food chain, uh, less than 2% representation. And what this means is that in, in an industry worth $20 million, only $400,000 or less is being returned to Indigenous farmers, yet it's their skills and knowledge that keep the industry thriving. Um, and so 
part of how I work to turn this around is that I source my ingredients from Indigenous farmers wherever possible. And part of every chocolate sold is reinvested into the farmers. Secondly, I found that the cacao industry is rife with forced labour. And this is because um, it's such a labour intensive industry with low return to the farmer, that these are the practices that they resort to to try and scrape through a living. So again, part I only source my chocolate from members of the Cacao Horizons Foundation and the money's reinvested into the cocoa farmer and sustainable practices and educating the women and the children in the village. And through those advancements that increase their, um, their productivity and therefore their income return, they rely less on the, um, the forced labor. And thirdly, thirdly, the rapidly um, increasing demand for palm oil, it's causing displacement for indigenous communities and for endangered um, species of animals. And it's driving the problem we have with global warming. So um, I only source palm oil free chocolate. And again, part of every chocolate sold is returned into those farmers because they're also indigenous communities trying to make a living into sustainable farming practices so that um, these, you know, the gross destruction of land isn't happening. And so I, I believe that we all share a responsibility to advocate for this balance through our buying choices and our business choices, because it's the collective um, movement that will, will create change, not individual action. So thank you. Wow, Fiona, that is amazing. And I knew you had to share that story with us in this panel because it's so, so powerful. Thank, Thank you. you so much, Fiona. I would now like to take this opportunity to welcome Kathy Ngo into um, the spotlight. And Kathy is actually the founder of Keynote Worthy. Kathy, can you please um, introduce yourself to the SHEO world right now and um, tell us who you are and what you do and what ignites you? Great. Thank you, Maria. Uh, well, firstly, I'm a little distracted with all that chocolate talk. So all I can think about is chocolate. Um, but anyway, um, lovely to meet you all. My name is Kathy. I'm on Dara Country, which is also known as Parramatta. I've been living here for the last two years and I absolutely love all the, the birds and nature and all the bushwalking. And that um, has made me reflect upon my own cultural heritage as well. My family came here as Vietnamese refugees and and, you know, this is a bit deep, but, you know, for a long, long time, I resented my cultural identity because I just felt like I never fitted in. And just now I realise uh, that it's not me, it's the systems that we are part of, which doesn't create that belonging. So I just wanted to share that. Um, but back into um, who I am and my business, uh, I'm the founder of a social enterprise called Keynote Worthy. I also started that two years ago and I started it by accident. Um, it wasn't something that I wanted to do, but with my personality and what I like to do is I assume responsibility. I'm that type of person that sees something, gets frustrated and I'll just do it. So <laughs> So that's probably why my house is really clean. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, so basically what Keynote Worthy is, is it's a challenger speaker agency uh, focused on curating speakers of very diverse backgrounds. Um, so when I say diverse, it's just a whole mixed um, backgrounds of people from different sexualities, ethnicities, experiences, age, etc. And I started that business because um, I just, I was going to so many events and conferences and I, I noticed more and more 
frustratingly that everyone sounded and looked the same. Um, not exactly looked the same, but there was this theme. And going back to systems, the systems are broken. There is just too much bias. The events industry is leaving out um, voices. Um, so, and the more I get into the business, I, I realise that it's not just about missing voices. There is that um, bigger picture as well um, in sustainability. So what about um, the other, the supply chain as well? So um, uh, utilising different uh, suppliers um, for catering, as an example, audiovisual. Um, so yeah, there's just a lot of work to be done. Um, so yeah, that's a, a little bit about me at the moment. You don't do much, do you? <laughs> just oh, like a normal woman. <laughs> you don't do You're just taking on the world and changing, you know, one, one action at a time. So Kathy, we have actually given you two of the elements um, in cultural wealth, which is familial capital and um, linguistic capital. So just to remind everyone, familial capital is around, I come from a long line of strong women who have each other's backs and linguistic capital is around, I have a voice that is heard in my community and I'm given the space and the opportunity to speak my truth. So Kathy, I'm really curious because you, you came out with us this first thing this morning around, I didn't always feel comfortable in my identity and you resented it, you know, growing up in Australia as a migrant. So how has that, um, you know, uh, woven itself into your life around linguistic and familial capital? Yeah, um, so familial capital, I never had any strong role models growing up. The only role model that I saw on TV was Lilin Chin, who's uh, an SBS news anchor. She has since retired. But, you know, she was the only Asian woman on TV and I just loved how she was just truly authentically herself and that was something I aspired to do and to be, but because of cultural norms, I had to fit into a box, you know, that the system that my family wanted to create for me. So um, if you think about, uh, and this is quite, it's a lot to unpack, but basically, um, so imagine just coming into a new country as a refugee, you know, not by not really by choice, but because of circumstances. So um, in Vietnam, it's very much a collective culture where, you know, everyone does things for each other, you know, literally borrow sugar from each other, um, look after each other's children. Um, it was that kind of community. And I think for them, uh, assimilated in Australia, where it's very much individualistic, it's very siloed, it's a different system. It was a huge adjustment for them. And I think on, on top of that, I was an accident baby. <laughs> so they were uh, living at a time when the, the interest rate uh, for houses was like 18%. It was a lot, a lot of financial pressures. So growing up, I was in this environment where there was a lot of scarcity, right? And so they did what they could to keep me safe. And so that in effect narrowed um, or took away my voice. To, to actually get out and be myself. Um, they just wanted to wrap me up in this cotton wool and bubble wrap. So um, yeah, so it was a real struggle um, growing up and, and yeah, I have had to live through a lot of um, trauma as well. And, and I do apologize if this triggers you, but there was a lot of domestic violence. So um, not exactly the best start in life, um, didn't have a lot of role models. I think 
fast forward to now, um, yeah, that's a big fast forward. Um, I think I've found my community uh, through CEO. So, um, you know, I've been involved in a lot, a lot of women, women networking groups. Um, and I just feel sometimes I just don't gel well and I'm really not sure what it is. And I think it's just, as I talked to my psychologist, she was saying, well, don't hang around with people that make you anxious. Um, and she does not make me anxious. Um, you know, like I have this intuition where I can feel people's energy, just like dogs, you know, dogs can feel people's energy. I mean, I'm not a dog, but you know, so um, yeah, I can really feel the energy. And, and when I feel safe to be myself, I am myself. And I can be as, as fun or quirky, whatever it is that I, I can be. Um, so, yeah. Thank you so much, Kathy. That is, that is a lot to unpack. I'm just clapping along. And I'm getting a little bit teary as well because, you know, we've had this chat before around why we find Shio really, really um, powerful. Oh, my goodness. I'm getting emotional. Um, thank you so much, um, Kathy. So linguistic and familiar capital, really, really big. And I know as migrant children, we really really struggled with that. So I'd like to now welcome Stephanie Rodriguez onto the spotlight. And um, Stephanie is the, um, oh, the founder of Jozu um, for Women and also the um, designer and founder of Wonder Safe Beacon. Um, Stephanie, please um, introduce yourself to the CEO world. Tell us what you do and your purpose and um, yeah, and what ignites your spark. Thank you, Maria, and good morning, everyone. I am very humbled and proud to be sitting on Gadigal country in Sydney. Um, I am not a native Australian. I came in 97. I'm on a mission to impact a billion lives by 2025 and democratize safety in support of the UN Sustainable Development Goals. And I do that in my startup that's called WanderSafe, a product that we make which is a nonviolent personal safety device and an app that helps you get help faster if you are in trouble. We are a company that is full of diversity and inclusion. And I myself am a new member of the 15%, um, having lost both of my feet to cerebral malaria March 31st of this year. So I'm fairly new to it all. So I'm new to CEO, new to the 15%, but very proud of our continued mission and to be able to be on that mission uh, over the last four years with um, impacting a billion lives with WanderSafe. So thank you, Maria. And thank you so much, all of you who are a part of this discussion for uh, your presence and space. Thank you so much, Stephanie. You're a new activator. I know, I know you needed to be in the CEO network. So I've, we've actually given you for the panel two of the tough ones. Um, the navigational capital and resistant capital. And I know this fits right into your passion and your purpose. So just to remind everyone, navigational capital is around, I know how to work my way around systems to get the information and the results that I want. And uh, resistant capital is around, I'm willing to think creatively to, um, to come up with solutions, but I will push back when I believe the status quo is unacceptable. So in your, um, in your experience, um, Stephanie, and the work that you do, how has this come into your life, these two um, cultural wealth elements? Um, I'd love to hear experiences. Well, I've been an entrepreneur, Maria, for more than 20 plus years. So starting businesses um, from a grassroots or cottage industry 
was always something up until Jozu for Women, which is our parent group. And Jozu is a Japanese word that means well done or better than. So our mission is to make travel and existence better and safer. Um, when I started Wander Safe and Jozu for Women, I raised um, a bit of seed round capital amongst friends and family who heard what we were doing and got very excited about it. Uh, of course, going through the traditional channels of evolution of a startup, especially one to scale, we went to the Silicon Valley, as we all do or dream to, and uh, began to pitch ourselves out to proper VC firms. And of course, in the statistics that you mentioned at the beginning about the access to capital that's quite limited in a traditional sense, um, my co-founders for Joseph for Women were men. Um, and in going the traditional route, but being the brain thrust of the brand, the idea, et cetera. Um, I think on the resistance capital and sliding into that, like going down that path of doing those things and, and seeking access in ways, uh, both from a networking perspective and alignment, but also in funding. Um, I went to the Silicon Valley with my co-founder. We sat in front of a very well-known venture capitalist. I opened my laptop and proceeded to take him through the pitch deck. And I got the second slide, which explained Josie for women and that there was a security and safety issue for many of us and our she, her pronouns. Um, in addition to anyone who's marginalized by their obvious faith, um, their uh, sexual orientation, as well as gender. So opening and people with disabilities like myself. So starting this conversation with this venture capitalist, he uh, got to that second slide and he stopped and he said, um, is safety for women a real thing? <laughs> and I couldn't believe that he would have the audacity to ask that question. And me being me and a little bit Puerto Rican and a little bit feisty, um, at that point, I didn't feel like there was any further need to continue that presentation. And I could have spent the next hour explaining or defending our necessity of something that we were creating because it was created out of genuine response to situations and creating a product that people needed, not something people wanted and nice to have, but an essential. So I just shut my laptop and I just said to him, look, this has been a very interesting presentation. I recommend you going home, speaking to your wife, calling your mother, your sister, your cousins, your nieces, but you know, if you ask around, you will learn things that you don't know. But in having that pushback, but believing strong enough in what we were doing, it led me to the Women's Startup Lab in the Silicon Valley, which uh, in the Hito tradition, which is Japanese, of course, as well, there was a sisterhood of other um, founders who had experienced similar challenges that one I could be aligned with um, and as it turned out, you know, in the he for her hashtag movement, there are actually those in the Silicon Valley and around that are, you know, identifying as he and him, but do support, you know, the women's need for um, access to capital and support to uh, alighting our ideas. So um, a little bit of a personal journey on that one, but certainly a game changer at the very beginning. Uh, that was in 2017. Now we sit in 2021, we have users in 58 countries of our free WanderSafe app, and we're presently working with you know, some beautiful nonprofits in domestic violence in Nigeria around the UN Day for uh, the Eradication of Violence Against Women, November 25th. 
So, you know, it's progressed a long way, but we certainly had a big hill to climb on that resistance. Thank you so much, Stephanie. That is a powerful, um, you know, story sharing around your experiences, you know, as a female um, tech founder. And so, wow, we have, we have covered off some phenomenal elements of cultural wealth. Hopefully it has given you an understanding and openness to explore further into our panels. Um, and at this stage, I would just, can we just unmute ourselves please and just give this phenomenal women a round of applause because their experiences have really helped us to build the whole cultural wealth. Thank you. Thank you so much, um, Sarah, um, Fiona, Kathy, and Stephanie. Thank you for listening to the CEO.world podcast. Like, comment, subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends. We invite you to join a global community of radically generous women and non-binary folks at CEO.world.